everyone, and welcome to episode two of Unwrapped. I'm your host, Emily Vogel. As always, Unwrapped is a podcast by rap women where we go behind the scenes with the badass women of Hollywood. But first things first, on today's episode, I've got some super exciting news. Um, yes, I just got back from Hawaii and I'm rocking a super great tan. But I'm also here with the rap's one and only Andy Ortiz, who is joining me as my official co-host. Welcome, Andy. You can't get rid of me now. You put official in there. I am I am here, man. You're with me. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Double trouble here, guys. Be ready. Be ready. <laughs> yeah, I gotta say, I'm I'm jealous of this tan you got going on. Though, talking about, I just got back from Hawaii. It must be nice. You know, Andy, I like don't. I hate taking days off of work. I'm like get so stressed, being like, I don't want to do it. I don't know if I feel like I don't deserve it or something. But I was like, you know what? You deserve a vacation. Go enjoy time with your family. And I am feeling rested. I am feeling golden bronzed. I I'm ready to to kick some butt. Well, that's like such a thing, though. I mean, I know we have other things we need to talk about on this podcast, but like real quick, let's dive into this one, because it's like a thing for women in general. Women in workplaces feel like they shouldn't take their vacation time, which is like the dumbest thing. Take your vacation time. You've earned it. You need it. You deserve it. So if you're if you're listening to us, and you're like, man, I just I would love to take a take the time off. Just do it. This is your official permission. Take the time off woman or man. I don't care. Take your time off. Yes, we are giving you permission here on this podcast. If you're debating whether or not to take time off, this is your official sign uh, to do so. <laughs> but obviously, like, still work hard. If you don't have the time off, then don't. It's it's a happy medium. You get what we're saying. Anyway, let's, yeah. let's dive let's, into things. Let's go back. Let's go back. Um, this is what happens uh, when you make me official. <laughs> Yeah. Oh gosh. Oh gosh. Um. So anyway, so obviously Andy was here with us um last time on our first episode of the Unwrapped podcast. Um. So if you're back with us, welcome back. And for those of you who are joining us for the first time, hello. You are in for a wild ride. Um. But to kind of recap, kind of last week's um or last month's episode, uh, we focused on women who are using their platforms to empower women on screen and behind the camera. We had legendary Vivica A. Fox, Emily and Paris Star. Ashley Park, Batwoman star Javicia Leslie, back Black Widow director Kate Shortland, uh, and we spoke with actor turned producer Felicity Jones. Um, in case you missed it, you can go back and rewatch it, or sorry, re-listen to it. I'm still getting used to this podcast stuff on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And now that we are all officially BFFs, um, be sure to check us out on Instagram at Rap Women, on Twitter at The Rap Women, and sign up for our newsletter at rapwomen.com. Uh, but yeah, now that I'm done kind of shamelessly promoting um, all the uh, fun stuff that we're doing, let's get into today's episode. Let's do it. Um, so today I really want to talk about, you know, women who are kicking ass uh, figuratively and literally both on and off the screen. So these are, you know, the action stars, the women of horror, the women who are fighting crime, doing the stunts, kicking down stereotypes, the women who are making you go kind of like, how did she do that? Um, so are you ready, Andy? I'm so ready, if, especially for the physical part, because the literal kicking ass, that's what I like to see on screen. This is, this is, this is my thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're ready. We're ready. Um, okay, so kind of first up on this list of women who kick ass in my mind is Marisol Nichols. Now, I would say Marisol is probably most well-known for her role as Hermione Lodge, a.k.a. Veronica's mom on Riverdale. Uh, but over the summer, she starred as Captain Angie Garza in Spiral from the Book of Saw across Samuel L. Jackson and Chris Rock. The film actually was super successful. It 
I was at the top of the box office for weeks. It pushed the Saw franchise over a billion in worldwide ticket sales, which is pretty crazy kind of because the Saw movies have a pretty modest uh, production budget. Uh, but side note, so anyway, so uh, Marisol in the film plays Chris Rock's boss, which is pretty badass. Um, and I recently had a chance to talk to Marisol about the importance of seeing women in leadership roles on screen who are kind of calling the shots and you know, getting, getting to be the bosses. Um, and then during the conversation, she also told me about how off screen she's kicking ass because she works with the FBI and law enforcement to fight crime and oh. sex traffickers uh, in the real world. Um, so she's just amazing. So let's go ahead uh, and roll the clip. Yeah, well, it is so cool because you get to play Chris Rock's boss and it's awesome to see a, you know, ambitious female, Latinx character on screen calling the shots. Um, why do you think, you know, Hollywood needs to continue um, giving women and people of color these powerful roles on screen? I mean, because women are powerful. Like you talk to any married couple, any man that's been married for a long time and he will always tell you, oh yeah, she runs, she's the boss. She's the boss. Those are good marriages, right? There's a reason for that. Um, women are powerful. Women are strong, period. Um, and you talk to anybody who's ever dated a Latinx woman, and they'll be like, they're feisty. Like, we're passionate. It, it's the thing. It goes along, it goes along with it. But, um, you know, Hollywood's come a long way. And I applaud that, and I'm going to validate that and encourage that we keep that trend going. Yeah, I agree, I agree. Um, but I mean, even off the screen and offset, you are continuing to be, you're such a brave and strong and vicious woman. Um, you have worked with former FBI agents, former CIA agents, um, Navy SEALs, you partnered with the DA and law enforcement to fight sex trafficking, which is incredible. Um, can you tell us about that? I'm dying to just hear wh what that's been like. Um, <laughs> it's definitely, it's a different world. It's not, you know, what I do here. It's not anything except for your, I'm using my acting skills and my knowledge of trafficking and child predators and all of that stuff that I've, you know, seen firsthand over and over and over and over again. And I'm using it to either lure predators out of hiding or convince someone else that I'm a trafficker or I am a customer so that I can bring them into the hands of law enforcement and rescue the girls that are being held by such people. Um, so it's, you know, the stakes are a lot different. It's my life. It's something can go wrong. I'm not going to lie. I'm, Half the time I'm completely freaked out and scared and going, how the hell did I get here? Uh, completely. But when you do bring one of those guys to justice, when you do get the girls out, I mean, it's completely worth it. It's worth all of it. All I ever ask is just get me home to my kid. Like I'll go wherever, I'll go to the darkest places, fine. Just get me home to my kid. That's all, because I have a responsibility there as well. Damn. Lots to unpack there. 
damn that's like that's that's the immediate reaction there it's just wow 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 thoughts yes lots to unpack let's let's unpack it um so let's start kind of with that that first part where she's you know talking you know women are feisty women run the house you know i don't care what they say i i love when she she brought that up um what were your thoughts on that Oh, a hundred percent. And I really like the like the good marriage thing because that was like such a stigma for like a long time. And I feel like it still is like, oh, she wears the pants in the relationship. Like, so it, it, things are going to get done that way. I mean, it's just I agree with her. It's just how it is. But I, yeah, I, there, I don't It's weird because it's like as as women talking about this, like, Emily, you know, like in any any good relationship, a woman's kind of going to be the one that makes decisions like my best friend, in the whole world loves her husband. And I love him, too. But like, he's not great at, at doing the decision part of things. So what? how else are things going to get done? I don't know. That's just that's, that's my thoughts on that aspect. What I really liked about the beginning of that clip, actually, though, was when you asked her about like putting women in in that kind of position of power and you know especially women of color and whatnot and she go and she was like i want to validate that like it is happening we are doing good and i want it that's so important that's such a good point because it's like as it happens we're like great but it's not enough but like we do need to validate that it's happening we there an effort is at least starting to be made i think i don't know what do you think no i i definitely agree and i think you know it's important to see that and really see it happening. Obviously we can hear stories or read about it, being able to see it on screen and being able to see um, women like Marisol, you know, bossing around the Chris rocks and the, the guys of the world is, is pretty powerful. And um, you know, just being able to, to see that and say, you know, I, I can do that too. Um, it is a pretty cool feeling. I, I'm curious, Emily, how are you in, in relationships? I know at the moment we're both single, but let's talk <laughs> hypothetically, right? Um, in a relationship, I mean, do you like having that kind of not I don't I'm not gonna say control because no partnership should ever have like control one person shouldn't have control, but do you like having that sense of like, yeah, maybe you wear the pants like a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I think it's like anything, it takes two to tango kind of thing, you know. Um, and, and having that, that bounce, but, you know, Andy, I am super single and that this is again, why we, we, uh, have a podcast, um, not on relationships, <laughs> uh, but Andy, what about, what about you in this scenario? I mean, I like, <laughs> at least when it comes to like my taste in, in guys and, and, and whatnot, I like someone that like, I don't want to say that I can control, but I like someone who will like listen, will value an opinion. That's how I'm going to put this, who will value an opinion and who will see, because that's what any good partnership is. Sometimes you need to look at your partner and you need to be like, you know what? Yeah, you're you're right in this situation. But I also want someone who can think for themselves. It needs to be a give and take, but they also need to be willing to like let the give and take happen. Does that make any sense? Am I, yeah, am I coherent? Um, I don't know. This is, I don't know if this even makes any sense, but one of my favorite lines in a movie um, is from my big fat Greek wedding. Um, yes, yes, where the, where the mother's like, you know, the man may be the head of the house, but the woman can turn the head any way she wants. Uh, and that's just one of my favorite, my favorite lines. Um, but you know, it is also great to see though. Um, and I can't tell if it, it's like something that seems more of like, uh, 
like forced or performative, but like even just on television and on screens, like when there's commercials um, and seeing, you know, before, you know, it'd always be like, oh, the mother packing the lunches or the mother doing the laundry. But now, um, you know, having it be, you know, the dad doing those roles too, or there being two dads and no mom or those kinds of things. And I'm, it's hard to kind of figure out which of that is performative and which is like, we're just going to make a woman in charge, like a, a woman in charge or a man do the laundry because it's like, we're going to break stereotypes or like, it's important that they do it in an authentic way, if that makes sense. Yes, but at the same time, at least in like a commercial setting, I don't much care. I because no right. one no one really cares. Like in a TV show, yes, I absolutely care because when it's a when it's a prolonged story, you can almost always tell when it's performative when they're just checking a box. But like in a commercial sense, no one's really looking at like the mechanics of a commercial. So if it's performative or not, I don't care. It's it's doing what needs to be done. That sounds terrible, but like I just I it, it it's on a scale for me, like it, right. it, levels of importance or right. levels of priority. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. But at least, yeah, it's kind of important. You know, at least people are kind of like realizing that there needs to be some sort of change in in our doing that. Right. Um. But you know, basically, yeah, women kick ass. You know, like you know, Marisol is, you know, doing things as a mother she's a wife she's acting and then she you know it, it was really intense when she spoke about you know making sure that she can still go home and be a mother like does she have time to sleep because she's fighting crimes and like using that acting to lure predators um uh out you know it, it's, it's so crazy what were your thoughts on that i i can't imagine the the mental toll that that takes on her because the, like you said she got very serious and i mean as she should that is a very very heavy subject and it's not it's not like she's donating like time or, or I'm sorry, not time. It's not like she's donating resources to an organization that can do the work for her. She's the one that's putting herself on those front lines. She said like, I'll go to the darkest places. So, I mean, talking about being like having time to sleep, I would just worry that she would be able to sleep because the things that it seems like she's seen the, I, the mental, the mental health aspect of that is what terrifies me. I admire her so much for doing it. But I so, so hope that she is taking care of, of of herself in that sense, because that's that's a lot. That's some horrifying things that she's probably seeing. Yeah, definitely. And I think actually, I think they're still kind of releasing kind of the details on this off to, you know, we'll have to look on that later, too. But she's actually turning, you know, all of these stories and experiences that she's had working with law enforcement um, into a series about, you know, going undercover and stuff, which is really cool um, as well. Would you would you ever go undercover, like given the chance? Maybe not in such a high stakes scenario as human trafficking, but like like a miscongeniality situation. Like, would you go? Would you go undercover given the chance? I feel like I would. I feel like like you know, I I studied international relations, so I always kind of wanted to you know be like maybe like kind of government, maybe like you know go to the CIA, FBI, undercover overseas. Um, but I'm also just like really bad at lying, and I feel like I could would just be really bad um i'd probably break so what about you though i did i did not know you studied international relations that's the weirdest like fun fact to just drop in there no dude i wanted to be a spy for forever like when i was a kid when i was in first grade my two closest friends were like two boys in my class and we would play spies at recess for the, i wanted to go into the cia i did like projects on the cia the fbi and then I have no idea what happened. I still I still love spy stories, but at some point in my life, my brain was like, yeah, we don't need to do it ourselves. But like 
if the if the opportunity arose and I didn't feel like it was mortal danger, I don't know. It's so hard. It's so situationally dependent. But like we like to believe that we would, right? But like in the moment, who knows what we would actually do. Yeah, maybe we'll go on an undercover mission together. But I mean, hold on. To be fair, I like to believe that all women are spies on some level because you know, you know, Emily, you've done this. Like when a friend comes to you and is like, yeah, you know, I met this guy on a dating app or like I here's I, I don't know much about him. I only have his name. You know that it takes a girl six seconds to find him on Facebook or to find him on Twitter, LinkedIn, all of these things like we are spies in our own oh, right. Just again. actually, yeah, I've done some major undercover work when it comes to helping my girlfriends track down a boy. And I'll be like, oh, I met John in Santa Monica. I'll find that John yeah. dead on. Yeah. And yeah. we'll find it and we'll do it within like 30 seconds tops. I I did it a lot in college. I remember, I remember one time specifically in college, my friend was like, I, I met this dude at a party and his name is John I don't remember what his name was but yeah let's say it was John and I was like great what did he look like and I went through and I was like is this him and she was like how did you do that and I said it's a special skill now again to be clear we are not making light of anything that Marisol is doing um this is just a tangent that we got taken on she is doing real real incredible work yes yes um but okay so now kind of going back to to you know fighting crime and you know, I, uh, kicking ass our keyword of the day that I keep saying. Um, you can't really talk about that without talking about superheroes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Andy, and I, I know you love you love superheroes. Um, yeah. But one of my favorite superhero shows out there right now is The Boys. Um, obsessed with it. Um, but during uh, the Rob's Emmy screening series um, recently, we had Aya Cash, who stars as Stormfront in The Boys. And during the conversation... Um, there was one part that stood out to me, mainly because like inside, I think I'm also still like a hormonal teenager who's like, oh my God, they're talking about sex or like, oh my gosh, superheroes having sex. Like, oh my gosh, how is that working? Like, I'm like so curious about the the mechanics of all of that. Like, like Bridgerton, you should have seen me. I was like, how did they do that? Um, I'm sorry. But anyway, you you're questioning the mechanics of sex because Emily, we might have to have a talk. Off <laughs> here. Okay, no, but this, okay, but like these moves, like how, okay, like such, it's so choreographed. It's literally like an action scene almost, like these sex scenes um, or like uh, sex life also. I'm like, how do they do that? Um, anyway, so, but with this scene in particular and the mechanics, um, Aya talks about um, a wild sex scene between soups that she had to film at. Basically, it's like them having sex in the air. Um, so I want to play that clip and talk about it. Because I was like, this is crazy. Um, so let's roll it. Let's roll the clip. I just want to say, um, sometimes people ask me if we actually have sex on camera. And that's shocking to me. And I feel like now I can just point to the scene and be like, we can't fly it either. Like, see? Like, now you understand <laughs> that this is not <laughs> Um I'll cut that out, I'm sure. Uh, but uh, I, uh, yeah, it, it's wild. I mean, the special effects are bonkers on this show. Uh, it is, they're so well done. Uh, and 
it's amazing to watch back because I don't tend to like to watch myself, but when I, I loved watching the boys because there is so much magic on top of what we shot uh, with the special effects. Um, so it's just enjoyable to see the things that you're maybe like, I feel a little silly doing this, or they just make you look great anyway. So uh, it's really fun to, to see all that. Um, and yeah, the flying uh, and fight choreography of that made this one of the most enjoyable sex scenes I've ever shot because they're always awkward and uncomfortable. Um, and that made it so specific in a way that we had to hit our, you know, the, it was a violent scene. There was, uh, you know, in a harness. Um, it was so much fun because it felt like doing a stunt scene rather than a sex scene. All right, Andy, what do you think? Now you kind of understand about the mechanics that I'm talking about. You know, you got sexes in general are like so choreographed action. And then you have this real action scene in there. What are, what are your thoughts? I think that's so funny. I will I will out myself here for as much as I am a superhero fan. I have not yet seen the boys. Um, and that is solely <gasps> because from what I know of it, it is very gory. And I don't I don't do well with with gore and blood. I don't. So I'm I'm immediately going to be looking up this scene after we are done recording. But I mean, she's right though. Every actor, I mean, every actor who I've ever talked to and interviews I've watched, the sex scenes are so like you said, they're so choreographed and they're so like, okay, place your head this way and move your body this. And it's like, there's nothing sexy about them. So honestly, it sounds like she had a lot of fun. I'm glad she's having a lot of fun. I would have loved to have been part of the conversation where they like pitched it to her and they were like, all right, guys, you're going to have sex, but in the sky flying while fighting, it's going to be a thing. And because like at some point someone had to be like, I'm sorry, what? That, huh? But I don't know. It sounds like a good time. Yeah, it, like you you wonder of the process of, you know, maybe it was like something even crazier and then they settled on the sky or like <laughs> how, how it landed on that and, and the whole process. Um, but well, I but, would say I like that they kind of that they kind of went there because that's always like that's always like an unspoken conversation. You don't see people writing about it and whatnot, but that's always the conversation that people have with their friends. Like, can Superman have sex without killing Lois Lane? So I respect them for going there. I really do. I think it's superhero sex. It's something we need to talk about. Let's something that needs to be discussed. Yeah. Um, okay, now continuing our our talk on superheroes. Um, I feel like we have to talk about Journey Smollett. Um, who? Yeah, we do. We talk- yeah, we do. We we um we on our first episode last last month. Um, we brought up Journey and her character Black Canary. Um, in Birds of Prey and how she tied up her hair um, with a hair tie and how only a female director would think of that scene. Because as you know, as women, as girls, you when you're doing action and you're running or working out, your hair is everywhere and you need a hair tie. But only I feel like a woman would really understand that, okay, here's a hair tie. Yeah, um, like so, to include it in the moment, like, hey, do you need a hair tie? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, so anyway, so this kind of inspired Andy and I um, to 
you know, interview journey, mainly also because she was just nominated um, for an Emmy uh, for her character, Letty Lewis, in HBO Max's um, Lovecraft Country. Um, but anyway, so we went out, we did do this, we went out and we interviewed um, Journey for this episode of the podcast. Um, we pre-taped the interview, um, which we're going to play for you in a second. Uh, but after we recorded, a major announcement dropped. And that is Journey is developing a Black Canary feature at HBO Max. And writing the script is Misha Green, who wrote Lovecraft Country. So basically, mind blown. <laughs> basically, dreams coming true. Like, this is... This is what we needed. We needed a black. That was like when Birds of Prey came out. That was the first thing that everyone said afterward. It was like Black Canary needs her own series. Black Canary needs her own movie. Like Journey Smollett just needs to do more. So I am. Oh, I'm so happy. I'm so excited for this when it actually like this is me now, Emily. So when it comes out, I need you to brace yourself because we're going to be having some very excited conversations. Yeah, I don't want to say like we manifested this, but like maybe we did have like a part in maybe making this happen. I don't you know, know what I was going to say. I did post this on Twitter, which shameless plug, if you want to follow me personally at really Andy, it is Andy with an I. Um, but I was going to say, we. I'm not saying we manifested this, but I'm not saying we didn't contribute. It, come on. We put, we voiced it into the universe. We did our part is all I'm saying. <laughs> Um, I think we did. I think we did. Um, but anyways, guys, we're going to play for you this epic interview that we had with Journey. She's amazing. Sit back, relax, um, and enjoy. Welcome, Journey. Hello, Journey. Thank you. Hello, hello. We're so How excited. How are you today? Oh, I'm excited to talk to you, ladies. I, I feel the energy through the computer. We're... Yeah. And I, I hope it's a good energy because sometimes it's terrifying to people. So. <laughs> no, it's, it's fantastic. <laughs> but to dive right into things, first off, congratulations on the nomination. Oh, that's amazing! Thank Shout you. Out to you. Thank you so um, and, much. Thank you. And and really to everyone who was involved with. Lovecraft Country, um, which received a total of 18 Emmy nominations. Um, mm. Unreal, unreal. Crazy. Um, I was wondering if you could talk about the moment you found out about your nomination and the nominations <laughs> and what was going through your head at that moment. <laughs> I was, so I'm here in Vancouver. I'm shooting a film for Netflix and Bad Robot. J.J. Abrams, my Lovecraft Country boss, um, with Alice and Janney called Lou. And I, it was early in the morning, so I was in hair and makeup, you know, in my zone with my headphones and stuff. And I get a call from my publicist. And I'm thinking, oh, what bad news? Or, I mean, because if it's a call, it's like we, you know, we need you. And I'm like, oh, what do you guys? What 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 bad news you got to tell me? And they were crying. They were like, Churn, you got congratulations, you got nominated for your very first Emmy. And I was screaming. I mean, I was screaming. And everyone in the hair and makeup trailer is like, what's the matter? Are you okay? And I just said, guys, I just got nominated for an Emmy. And Allison came over and she gave me a hug and kiss. And she said, of course you did. You better have. I voted for you. <laughs> and then I literally ran out of the trailer and, you know, call my mom. And my, my brothers call me on group FaceTime. And I'm screaming. And then I called Jonathan. And, and then my brothers were like, you know, Allison is nominated too for 
the cat uh, the comedy category. I was like, wait, why did she? Didn't, wait, she didn't. We were just in the trailer together. And so the AD says, you know, not so much trailer. Is like, okay, we need you to come and rehearse. You know, you got an actual film to shoot. <laughs> and so I go. Yeah, work we got to do. Yeah, we got to work. Uh, right. And so I go to rehearsal and I go up to Alice and I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't know. Congratulations to you too. And she says, for what? <laughs> and, I, and I say, well, you were nominated for mom. No, I was Journey. No, I don't think I was. I say, yes. I literally pull up the deadline article and I'm like, wait, let me double check. Like, yeah, this is awkward if she's not. I know, yeah, like, this could wrong. be really bad. This could be really awful. And I show her and she hugs me. She's like, oh my God, I didn't know. <laughs> That's the best Emmy nominee story. Oh my gosh. Our director, Anna, literally is watching all this take place. And she's like, (laughs) this is the best. I mean, like, this is the best. And then she took pictures of us and and, uh, the producers, Hannah Mandela and everyone were on set and they gave us flowers and like got us cupcakes. And the whole week after that, the first AD James, every, every time we made a mistake, he would just say, I mean, is that an Emmy worthy uh, mistake? <laughs> <laughs> so we got shit for the whole, we're still getting shit about this. But I mean, this is the thing with Allison, I'm like, I think she's been nominated for roughly like 15 Emmys. Like, this is my first time, you know? And so, <laughs> I mean, she's a legend, you know? So. It was cool. She was she was just as excited as me. Amazing. I, I love that. I love that story so much. Like I I could say you could feel the energy through the screen here, but like I could he- feel the energy through that story. That's <laughs> unreal. <laughs> so fun. Well, with the Emmys this year as well, it marked so many historical moments. Lovecraft, it was the first time that a Black lead actor and a Black lead actress from the same drama series have been nominated. Uh, so congrats again on that. And this year, a record 37 Black actors were nominated for an Emmy. So I was wondering if you could talk about what that means to you and what message you hope that sends to Hollywood and th- the rest of the world, really. Oh, it's so deep. It's so deep. I mean, uh, yeah, I, when I was told that, I thought, wait, why are we still making history in 2021? I mean, that's, that was like my, my honest response. I I was in denial. I was like, there's no way that's possible. Like, y'all sure about that? You know, Um, I mean, listen, it's an honor. It's a, it's such a privilege um, to, to have the work Appreciate it, seen, you know, applauded. Um, sorry, my son is coming in here. What? What, baby? You can go now. Did you eat? Did you eat breakfast? You can go now. He's asking me when can he go out to get his toy. I I told him he could get a toy because he slept. He he didn't come in my room last night in the middle of the night, so we had a victory. Love <laughs> it. Progress. <laughs> Progress. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So I mean, you know, it's. It's an honor. It's a privilege. It's it's very humbling, um, but it also is very indicative of how far we got to go. You know that if if in twenty twenty one these are still headlines, I look forward to the day when this is our new normal. You know, um, 
when when we're we're not hearing about oh look MJ African love MJ's work right on Pose, but again it's like I want to see more trans women nominated and 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 stuff like that you know so it's 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 humbling it's an honor um, but I do look forward to the day that this is actually not news this is our our new normal exactly and I think it is. It just needs, it's really crazy how this isn't already just a thing like that we're still highlighting it so much. It should just be a normal everyday thing and not just representation on screen, but also women, women of color behind mm -hmm. the camera as well. Well, um, well that's but, the thing. It's like, you know, um, without having a Shonda Rhimes, without having Amisha Green, without having a Jordan Peele, or, you know, these really incredible filmmakers who are taking up the mantle and saying, oh, I just want to see our stories told, right? Um, and Ava DuVernay, um, you know, would we as actors get these opportunities, you know, um, to be able to say, okay, history is made, right? Um, that's the sobering truth. But it's also very exciting because I feel that we are in a space in which there are so many more hungry filmmakers who are getting behind the camera and just telling our story unapologetically. Um, and I, I think that's just what we need more of, you know, um, because the acting, the actors are there. There are so many incredible actors, my goodness. Women of color, people of color, um, people of all kinds. But if you're not given the opportunity for your instrument to be used, to, to be stretched, to be a vessel for these types of stories, then you can't be nominated for any of these awards, right? Right, exactly. And speaking you know, of people like Misha behind the camera who are giving opportunities to talented actors such as yourself, um, you recently worked with Misha before Lovecraft on Underground. And I'm curious to know how you ended up joining forces again for Lovecraft. Yeah, we, we've, we um, I met Misha six years ago on uh, season one when she cast me uh, in season one of Underground to play Rosalie. And um, <laughs> I remember her saying to me, we're gonna be best friends. And it was so creepy. And I was like, who is this chick? I mean, back, the fuck up <laughs> you know i mean that's how um, i make friends so like okay <laughs> that's how andy and i became friends <laughs> underground had been recently canceled and she would she went off to write the pilot for lovecraft country three weeks it took her to write the pilot i know that's the mad scientist yeah um and she sent it to me and i read it but she wasn't offering it to me you know, she was on this trip of like journey. You need to go and do films. Like, what? What are you gonna do after Underground? I mean, Underground is so great. Like, just go and do films. Don't step into this territory anymore. And when she sent me Lovecraft, it was it was simply she sent sent it simply in the way of like, hey, this is what I wrote. You know, you want to read it? And I started losing sleep over it. I mean, because she wasn't offering it to me. I was like, I don't care. Don't give me the friendship, you know. Like, I, I want to be in your in your shit, not you know. And so 
Um, months went by and, and she started the writer's room and stuff was moving forward. And I, you know, I, I kept talking to her about the different offers I was getting in television. Underground did change the way certain um, showrunners in TV looked at me. So for the first time in my life, I was getting like straight offers, like, whoa, wow. And everything I would send her, she'd be like, no, it's trash. You can't do that. What are you, no, how are you gonna follow up underground with that? No. And I'm thinking, but you got something right here that is like, oh, give me this. (laughs) And don't you realize that there's no one else that can play Lady fucking Lewis but me? What's wrong? What's wrong with me? When it's a whole total like actor insecure, like what is wrong with me? Does she not know? Like, am I not right? Does she know something about about me that I don't know? I mean like totally fucking insecure. And then, you know, I was in, I was at the Bad Robot office. I was with JJ and about complete, something completely different. And he says, you know, did you read the, the Lovecraft Country script? And I was like, dude, yeah, it's incredible. He says, very casually, you should do it. And I'm like, what are you? I mean, if there's an option for me to do it, yeah, I want to do it, you know? And so I get a call from Misha like weeks later saying, hey, you know, I want you to go and meet the director again, Demange, um, for Lovecraft Country. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And she just hangs up. She's like, okay, bye, you know? You know, she gets very professional with me when it's like showrunner actor. It's like she puts up the boundaries. And yeah, what's interesting though is when she, when they finally did offer it to me, she called me and she said, "Listen, I'm trying to take it to a whole nother level, you know. And there are going to be things that I'm going to ask you to do, nudity, you know, a lot of. Uh, I'm going to ask you to go to some dark places and ask you to do things that you've never done before." She said, "Don't say yes right now." Like, you need to think about this. And if you don't, if the answer is no, no hard feelings, I won't be offended, we will find something else to do. But I just need you to know, I will keep you safe, but I'm gonna demand things. I'm gonna ask certain things of your of your instrument. And I thought about it, I took, you know, a day, because she told me to take a day. <laughs> and I, like, you follow directions. Yeah, exactly. She's my boss, you know, and I prayed about it and, and meditated and, you know, did the whole juju shit. Um, and was like, fuck, yeah, I'm down. I if, if I'm going to do these things, right, I had never done nudity. I'd never, like, done quite a bit of the things I did with, with this project. Um, I felt safe doing it in her care, right? I felt safe doing it with her. Um, yeah, so that's the long version of how <laughs> I became attached. That's a, a great story, a great story. Um, so I'm quite curious though, what was it exactly about the project that you were like, I I need to be the I need to be Letty. I that made you want to be it so be in this show so bad. It was the very first scene that I read and the way Letty was introduced. Um, listen, the pilot in in its scope in its scale, Misha's writing, all that was amazing, right? I mean, the way it fucking opens and Atticus is, you know, a hero in the war fighting monsters. I was like, oh, this is, I wanna see this show, you know? But then what made me become so obsessed was Letty. Um, 
when we meet this woman, you know, here we have a woman who sits at the intersection of multiple identities. She's a black woman in Jim Crow America in 1955. Okay, in the first scene, we learn that she's a drifter and yet she needs her family and her and yet habitually abandons her family, but has come back after being gone for months, but clearly has a bond with her sister and the way they dance and sing and, and just kind of like ease back into the muscle memory of sisterhood. Um, you learn that she can't afford to, to buy a pair of stockings, but she's talking about pioneering and buying a house in an all white neighborhood, right? You learn that she didn't go to her mother's funeral and I was like, oh my gosh, who is this woman? She's such a tornado. And it's, it's something you can't really uh, describe as an artist, as an actor. You just know. You just know when, there's some, when, when you read a script that that's a character that you've got to unearth inside of you. Um, and it scared me. I'm not going to lie. It scared me. Um, but I find that I'm drawn to characters who are rich with flaws and contradictions and and have this real inner struggle, you know? I mean, she's layered with so many contrasting ideas and it just jumped off the page for me that there was no way I would be able to sleep not embodying Letty, not bringing her to life, not breathing air into her. There, it just wasn't an option. I knew it in that very first scene. And then everything else, I was just like, yeah, see, I was right. Yeah, I mean, more reason why I have to do this. <laughs> um, you know, and there's so much that I can relate to with Letty. Um, she, she's, I mean, she's such a fucking firecracker. And she's a bit bolder in areas than I personally am, in areas that I wish I were sometimes, that I aspire to be, that I, pretend, you know, oh yeah, that, yeah, I've got that. No, but anyway. <laughs> um, Fake it till you make it, honestly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but, but there's also a deep connection and a deep understanding that I, I just had with her. You know, I um, understand that child parental split that she has, right? Like she essentially sees the world through the eyes of a, an abandoned child. Um, because she was estranged from her mother and then her mother passes away before she could really heal that split. And I, like Letty, had that experience with my father. I was estranged from my father from the time I was 12 until 26. He unfortunately passed away two years after we reunited. Um, and you don't really heal that, you know? I mean, you kind of search for the healing and you try to rectify that in other ways. Um, but yeah, I just understood her eyes. I understood the way she saw the world on such a deep level. So one of the things that Emily and I have talked about a lot is that, and especially recently, is that with projects lately, and even, even in, in past projects, but it's just more noticeable lately, um, you can always tell when a woman is steering the ship, you can always, always tell when a woman has had her hand in like driving the plot. So like in... Bird to Prey, for example, there's, you know, the hair tie moment or mm -hmm. although if I'm being honest, my favorite, my favorite Birds of Prey line is actually yours, Journey. It's when she says, when the fuck did she have time for a shoe change? And I'm like, thank you. <laughs> that was a moment. But was Great there line, was yeah. there a moment with Lovecraft where you you were reading through the script and you were like, oh, this is so good because 
a woman did it because like this this would this would have been different if it was like a man telling the story. I don't know that I had that specifically in in reading the script per se. I don't know that I was analyzing it in that way. I mean, every every time I'd get a script, you know, it's like, oh, Misha's writing. It's you just swallowing it up, and I'm like texting Jonathan and be like, Can you believe what the I have you read episode nine? And he's like, Yes, it's it's bananas, it's incredible. Um, you know, but I think more so the experience on set. Absolutely. There there were experiences. It's so funny you asked this. I mean, someone just asked me this in an interview prior to this, and I hadn't even really thought about it until today. Um, the very real difference, I, I can remember a very specific moment. So going back to that conversation where she said she would keep us safe, right? That she wouldn't ask us to do things um, that would place us in a position of denying our safety, right? Um, there was a scene that was a really challenging scene. I mean, it intimidated the fuck out of me as most of these scenes did, right? <laughs> you know, um, But this one in particular, it was very challenging and required a lot, um, not just because it was nudity or, or something like that, but that those elements were there. And, um, you know, we were over talking it and working through it in rehearsal with the director and it, it just wasn't working. And, I have to say, you know, um, she went and she cut the scene. She cut it. And and I I was like, wait, what would you cut it for? And she was like, honestly, I don't feel confident that this these circumstances, the the person in particular who, you know, the hands are in the, the director, I'll just say, she didn't feel confident that the director could nail it and could also keep us feeling comfortable, feeling safe while all these other elements were at play. And she fucking cut the scene. I have never experienced that before. Typically with my experience with love scenes in the past, it's always been this real negotiation with the director of like, well, can you show this? Well, can you be in this position? More nudity, more clothes off, more like, I, you know, they're, they, they feel weird about asking you to do it, but they want it and you know they want it. And so it's this weird negotiation dance. And this was an, an absolute clear difference in how she approached, quote unquote, keeping me, me and my scene partner comfortable and safe versus my experiences in the past. For her to literally say, because I'm not confident, uh, and I can't say 100%, 100% that we can execute this, and you will feel comfortable and feel safe, let's just not do it, was a clear difference in having a, fe a Black female showrunner than any experience I ever had in the past. That's that's amazing. And that develops a, a big trust there. I mean, clearly, you and Misha had a rapport beforehand. <clears throat> Excuse me. You had that rapport and you had that trust, but then that that just goes so much deeper. And I I love hearing that. One thing oh, I absolutely. also really love, and what and one thing I really loved about Letty was that she was a badass. I mean, she says it outright. She's like, I'm Letitia fucking Lewis. And yes, girl, we love, we need more lines like that. Declare who you are, own it. Recently, you've also transitioned to a role behind the camera. We're talking about Misha, we're talking about Kathy Ann, who directed Birds of Birds of Prey. Um, you are now an executive producer on mm -hmm. the 
film, Lou, which you mentioned you were on set for. How did you know you were ready to take on that role behind the camera? Oh, you know, I've been ready for so long. I grew up in this business. I grew up on sets. You know, this, while this is the first one that I, um, I feel so incredibly blessed that J.J. Abrams and Hannah Minghella and the whole Bad Robot team were like, yo, let's let's do this together in that way, right? Um, but I've been trying to like develop things and, you know, buy the rights to certain books or it, it and so I've kind of been doing it a bit behind the scenes. Um, and also just understanding and loving the art of storytelling. You know, I've, I've, I've been ready to take on the, the mantle of producer for a while and feel so safe in the hands of Bad Robot. You know, I'm learning so much from them. My goodness. I have such a girl crush on Hannah Minghella. She is so awesome. Um, you know, and, and working with Anna, Anna Forster, our director, this film is, I can't wait for people to see it because it is so uniquely feminine um, within this space of thriller, right? Um, but not in, the, not in the very typical sense, right? You know, it goes back to finding those moments like with Birds of Prey where we can play in these spaces, we can play in these genre spaces and we don't have to feel like we just are swapping out he for a she. Like we can actually really make it our own and really make it specific to our experiences. And we don't have to apologize for that. And it doesn't mean that it's weaker or, you know, we don't even have to get in that space of competing, right? And, and that's one thing that I'm loving so much about this experience with Lou is we're, we're asking all these questions around our womanhood and around how these characters would respond within their womanhood within these circumstances. Right, and it's not oh trying to make them more masculine or more feminine. It's truly about their experiences in life, how they see the world, that is dictating the story. And I'm, I mean, I'm loving it. I really am loving it. I really am. Oh, I'm so excited well, that to is, see it. I'm so stoked. That's great to hear. Yes, I am so stoked. Um, but now, I mean, you're kicking ass on screen. You're kicking ass behind the camera. Um, you're also like on screen. You're are kicking the ass of monsters and scary things in Lovecraft. So we're going to play a game of fight or flight, if that's cool with you. Okay. Quick rapid fire. I'm going to ask you and Andy, because we don't want you to just feel singled out, um, a series of questions where you encounter a scary monster situation, scary things. Okay? Ready? Okay. All right. Let's go. You wake up super early, you're so tired, you head to Starbucks, you're about to put in an order, and a wild mob of zombies is approaching. Fight or flight? You want to, you want to go first, Jerry? Flight! Run the fuck out of there! <laughs> I mean, what kind of zombies are we talking about? Are they fast moving? How many people are in the shop? Like, do I have a team with me, or is it just me? I mean, they're moving kind of slow because they're going to get their coffee, too, I think, at Starbucks. Nah, so. we're still running. I'm with Journey on this one. We're running the hell out of there. We're running the hell out. I mean, I also don't drink coffee. So, you know, I'm like, why, like, why, why would I be there? Why, 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 yeah, why are we even there? We we don't belong here. This is not our spot. Let's go. <laughs> this is not our spot. We're going we're gonna to bounce out. It's Yeah. No thanks to zombies. Okay. Next one. 
COVID's over, you and your friends are back at the club, you're on the dance floor, and all of a sudden, Monster Mash becomes super real. And mummies are coming out of the bathroom and onto the dance floor. Are you going to fight because no one's, you know, ruining your, your girl's night out? Or are you fighting? Mummies. I think she broke. Oh, okay. Jerry's uh, back. Go for it. You're just back. thinking. <laughs> okay. Uh, you said they're coming out of the bathroom. And what? Because the toilet paper. They're covered in toilet paper. Mummy's coming out of the bathroom onto the dance floor. <laughs> are we fighting or are we flighting? Maybe you guys could attack. Maybe you guys could dub back to you. Do we have? I say neither. We just continue to dance. Invite them dance. <laughs> we dance. With I them. like that. That's really good conflict management. Uh, I'm gonna fight only in the sense of like I'm gonna I'm gonna pull their unwrappings off and they get super embarrassed oh. and they run away. Oh, I like, like your imagination. Warfare. This imagination yeah. is very good. All right, Ed, okay. we got one more. Pick a, pick one your best more, one. One more. Okay. You walk into, because this is for both of you, so in your case, journey to be an audition, Andy, an interview, you walk into an audition slash interview of a lifetime to land the role or job of your dreams. But a scary clown is blocking the entrance door. Fight or flight? Fight. Fight this motherfucker. Kick his ass. Yes. I don't it's know, clown. man. Clowns are clowns are rough because no. if it's a scary clown, I don't. What, you know what? If I got Journey next to me, hell yeah, yeah let's fight. I trust her to take the lead. We'll tag team it. I trust her. If I mean, I'm by myself, absolutely not. Interview is not worth it unless I'm interviewing Journey, in which case, yeah, I, I would fight for it. I, yeah, no, I, I'm fighting for it. Listen, I'm pulling out some of my black canary kicks. Uh, we. We we're not letting this roll, okay? Because weird actors. Hello, we're like I'm not letting this roll get away from me. <laughs> Wait, okay. So I have to ask if you're busting out Black Canary moves. We saw in Lovecraft, Letty can handle herself. So who you got in a fight, Black Canary or Letty Lewis? Ooh, ooh, don't do it. I got it. it. <laughs> I gotta do it, man. Because I mean, Canary's got her scream, but like, here's the thing: Letty can book it. Letty is fast. She cannot fight the way Black Canary can. I mean, Black Canary's one of the greatest martial artists in the DC canon. So, yeah, fuck, fuck, fuck! It's Black Canary for the win. <laughs> Ooh, ooh, sorry to Letty on that one. I mean, come on, you had to know. She's a literal superhero. Which... She's a literal, she has a canary cried. I mean, like, try to run away, Letty, that's cute, but you're not getting very far from that cry. She's gonna blast I mean, your eardrums out. Well, and honestly, if the powers that be are listening, if you wanna do a Black Canary series where Letty is in there, if it's like a doppelganger, like a different oh. universes thing, just give me literally any Black Canary series at this point, just give it to me. <laughs> You're so good, Andy. I love how you just slid that in. That, that was that was great. Thank you. <laughs> and we can end. We can just end right there with Journey telling me I'm just, so good. That's that's my day. I'm great. I'm gonna just. Baby's life is made. <laughs> um, but thank you so much, Journey, for joining us. We're gonna end on that amazing note. Um, thank thank you. you so much. This was fun. And to all of our rap women audiences tuning in, we'll see you next time.